Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us this afternoon across the Outkick Network. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine. We are here each and every day in downtown Music City. You can join us as well. The address is the name of the venue, 6th and Peabody, right behind the Music City Center. I've never seen Chad so giddy on a, on a show day here at 6th and Peabody. He is very happy. Is. His Atlanta Braves... They move on. They advance. It's a fun His time. giddiness matches my misery <laughs> from the day the Yankees it's, were eliminated. It's fun to watch your team step up in moments of adversity when you're not expecting much. Braves fall behind 4-2 yesterday, I'm thinking. Things going back to Milwaukee. They've saved their ace for game five, not looking good. And the Braves kept rallying. Freddie Freeman. We'll talk to J.P. Aaron Sibby about it. I'm pumped, though. So disappointed in the Brewers, who I knew nothing about. Except that I wanted them desperately to win. Here's what I know about the Brewers. Craig Council is the Benjamin Button of baseball. That guy looks 12 years old. It looks like he's gotten younger since he played, and he looked young as a player. He did. He did. I just wanted I, that I fat told, guy to carry them. I told the Angie, I said, run. hey, that's their manager. And she said, that's not the bat boy? <laughs> I, mean, I said, no, that's their manager right there in the pullover, the tiny guy who looks like he's 15 years old. And he's, what, in his 50s now? Late 40s? Think of the uniform difference between him and the fat guy. Yeah, there's. Uh, we can talk to JP Wide about this. Wide array there's, of uniform sizes in between those. I'm a, I know David Reed loves a good fat guy playing sports. There's some it gives really, everyone hope. This is this is like a Renaissance era for fat men playing baseball. There's some good fat baseball players out there, Hitting which, some I, which I love. They can drive. It's all about launch. They're angle. back because the fat were out for a while. What's launch angle? Well, you get a guy who's <laughs> like uh, the guy for the Brewers, six foot two seventy eight. And we talk about launch angle. He's short and fat. I mean, how so did it's he like even, going low to high when he swings. How did he ever get a look? <laughs> That's true. He probably got. I want to read a story about him. I have to learn his name. Well, he got a look because in in little league he probably hit you know thirty seven home My runs in his thirteen year old season. Little Nate, a big Nate, That's and I hit dingers. What was that guy's name? Reed would know. I don't. Classic. We used to have that audio. What was it? <laughs> you remember him? Big Al. Big Al. Big Al. Al. I, I, I Big Al. My dad's in what the mafia, legend. and I hit dingers. What dingers. a legend! I love how anytime you reference a fat man with a bat in their hand, uh, I'm I'm the one you go yeah, to. Yeah, we come to you, David Reed. Uh, what do you know about this fat guy playing baseball? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's born in Cincinnati. Went to uh, Woodmont. He Elementary. also has all of our Oliver Miller facts. Any fat athlete, fat basketball players, baseball players. David Reed's got fat answers bastard on from the Austin Powers movie. Uh, that too. He knows all the fat guys. I want to get into uh, some, some NFL discussion uh, in just a moment. First, some props. Uh, we're talking journalism in the first hour. Props down in Oklahoma. The OU student newspaper of all outlets. The OU student newspaper watched practice from a public building and reported that Caleb Williams is getting the first-team reps for the Oklahoma Sooners. Props, props to finding a way because they had closed off practice to the media. That public so, building will be imploded this afternoon at 3 o'clock. <laughs> no longer public. If anyone public. wants to watch that, that'll be a big news event as well. 
So there's our answer. There's no more debate. Just based on the practice report, he's getting first-team reps for the Sooners. But here's the sad five, conclusion five star freshman. of that. And that's what should happen because he was terrific, and Spencer Rattler has not been terrific. The sad conclusion of that story is we all know how this is going to end. Paper. That newspaper is going to be condemned by Lincoln, big bad Lincoln Riley, and those kids are not going to be allowed to do that again, and they're going to be frightened by the big, bad, scary Will head coach. Will the university oh, president do the right thing? Will they take the right time? A follow-up to this story. Students did a fantastic job of reporting good journalism. The athletic department has threatened to revoke the student paper's credentials. There you go. Told you that that was the logical next step. You do something that's creative, and they're going to come back and say, how dare you? Next step. And you're going to be criticized for next it. Next step, university president, please take the right time. Well, the next step is what I hope is that some media company out there goes and hires the person who got that story. Yeah. I want them to be contacted by I don't care whom. Yeah, but athletic. someone should call them yeah, and athletic. say, we want you to be a beat writer for this team because of your effort with that. Bravo. So you guys, I mean, we, we look to Vegas for where they want the public to place their money, right, on what, who the favorites are. Let's look at some underdogs, some under-the-radar teams and players. Right now, five weeks in, we have a good snapshot of the National Football League as it sits right now, as it stands. Um, but where would we say, hey, you know what? This is a team on the rise. Watch out for them. Watch out for this player or you know the quarterback that's going to make a move. I think there are a couple to point out. And we, we mentioned earlier this week, there is a true power five of teams in the NFC. And what the numbers show is that Vegas believes there's a power four in the AFC. And we'll see if we agree. Let's take a look at some of the odds and uh, just compare them to where our line of thinking is. And we can start with just who they think the favorite is in the AFC for the championship. The Bills are an obvious no-brainer based on their point differential. They have the highest point differential in the National Football League. Offense and defense, phenomenal. Kansas City is still viewed in the eyes of the odds makers as a team that we should all beware of. It goes through Buffalo now, but KC is the second odds-on favorite to represent the AFC despite how bad their defense is five weeks in. So the question isn't, are the odds correct? I ask you guys, do you believe that Kansas City's defense improves to the point where they will be better than Baltimore, Cleveland, the Chargers, the Titans, who are right there in the mix for the AFC crown. I do not. I, I don't either. I am out on Kansas City. I think they've got too many problems to fix. I, 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 and I think as the defense might get better, I think there's still problems on the offense that might surface. We've talked about their problems in terms of targets mm-hmm. beyond their top two. Um, right now, Mahomes is turning the ball over too frequently in a problem that needs to Six be Six interceptions fixed. already. Um Clyde Edwards there is hurt. Not IR. that he's doing anything for them. I know from having him in fantasy, but I think it's a flawed football team. And I look at Baltimore. I know they beat the Browns right early, but the the Browns are are a better overall team. I think the Chargers are a better overall team. Titans. It's all about what they look like when they get healthy, they if and when together? they get healthy. But I'd add Cincinnati on here. This is six teams. It's a seventeen playoff field, and I'd put Cincinnati next. Nobody's coming out of the East, and well, nobody's this, coming out of the well, it's, South. It's, a, it's all a mix of what we've seen versus what we expect. Expect to see. What we've seen from the Chiefs, they shouldn't be on this screen right now. But what we expect from the Chiefs and Mahomes, given the track record, that's why they're second. 
And I'll say the same about the Titans. It's certainly not a – Titans aren't in this group right well, now. Well, they're what we've there seen. because they're going to win their division. Exactly. It's What we've seen also is the rest of the division is terrible. So the Titans they're are going to have a good shot because they're going to be a division champ. So they have to be on this list somewhere because they're the probable division champ in the AFC South. But I look at these teams and I see a clear separation between Chargers and Titans. I'll say this. The Chargers just beat the Browns too. I would put the Chargers right now ahead of the Browns in terms of odds. I'm not Vegas. They have their reasons for this. But that's what jumps out well, to me. Well, I'd put the Chargers second. I think people want to bet on the Chiefs. They've been there twice in a row. Mahomes is Well, know, and that's the, the part mass. of the reason their number is what it, what it is, because people continue to bet on them. Well, but also, keep in mind that back in 2019, the Chiefs' defense was horrendous. Yeah, and they fixed it. Halfway Steve through Pagnolo, the season, Steve it started. Steve fixed it. But he's the guy that fixed it. And he's still He's there. now overseeing the, the, a broken defense. What? Right. But can they made a trade for Frank Clark that season, right? They brought him in. They, there, were, there were small adjustments that they made, and they also inserted a rookie into their lineup that year that came on and started making some plays in the pass rush at, from the safety position. But the, they, they're, still, they're still right there in the mix, and, and the vast majority – of decision makers when it comes to predictions, they are saying the Chiefs are in the mix and the Titans are not. They think the Chiefs figure it out and the Titans do not. The Ravens and the Browns are really interesting because they're going to face off against each other a couple times. And Lamar Jackson is phenomenal right now. And, and Baker Mayfield's banged up. But they both run the football. They both play solid defense. And the Browns right now are ahead of the Ravens in total rushing. They lead the entire league. Another thing for the Chiefs, that division's not bad. I mean, the Raiders are a flyer right now because you don't know how they're going to respond to Bisakia, but they're 3-2. and two, That's a great point, And Carr's too. been very good. And the Broncos, you know, their wins aren't against great teams, but they've got a stout defense, and they're 3-2. and two. And those are second- and third-place teams behind the Chargers. Kansas City has to climb yes. a lot. Now, they're not far behind. One weekend can change a lot. But that's a crowded division with reasonable talent. Whereas we're looking at the Titans, and, I mean, they're two games up on crap. Chiefs, by the way, on the road against Washington this week. They'll be taking on that, uh, that Washington defense that can rush the passer well, and we've seen Mahomes under pressure quite a bit. In the NFC, it is a power five. Which we've been talking about for a couple weeks already. That's right. And but the Bucks are at the very top of the list, uh, followed by the Rams – who have won the head-to-head matchup with the Bucs. But beyond that, the unbeaten Cardinals, the Green Bay Packers, the Dallas Cowboys, who can beat you in a multitude of ways on offense, and they've already been able to uh, turn the football over on defense. They've had 11 takeaways on the season. Look at the gap there between... uh... Dallas and, the power and San Francisco. That's, Bucks, that's Rams, enormous. Cardinals, Packers, Cowboys. I feel better about the Cowboys than I do about the Packers. Um, this is, to me, the NFC by far better than the AFC this year. Those teams are all very and strong. And this is truly a war of attrition now among these teams because these teams, I think if you had the Rams and Bucks face off against each other, we'd see a different result five, five times, right? And we've seen a lot of these teams um, play already, right? We've seen Bucks, Rams. We've seen Rams, Cardinals. Uh, I think the Cardinals are still undervalued. I do too. Yeah. The, car- the, Card- the Cardinals have the ability to push the ball downfield. They are they're putting up a boatload of points, and it's not like DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins has not had a 100-yard receiving game yet. 
Well, they can spread it around. Yeah. I mean, that receiving core is pretty stacked. Green has more left. season to where he's had six straight games without a 100-yard well, receiving. On, even on defense. And it's not that he's playing poorly by any no. Show me their glaring weakness. I, I, I can't find one right now for the Cardinals, the and way they're got, playing. John McClain mentioned yesterday, next week, uh, they're hosting Houston, which isn't, uh, you know, they should, they should paste Houston. But they're seeing J.J. Watt and – uh, DeAndre Hopkins against, Back in Houston. Uh, I think it's in Arizona, but still a big story. Oh, it's in Houston. I'm sorry, in Arizona. They have the Browns this week. Are they going to remain unbeaten? That's the Cardinals are at Cleveland this week, and Cleveland is phenomenal. I mean, they, 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 they've lost two games, but they are really stout, offense and defense combined. I, the fact that we can list five teams in each conference, I agree, NFC better, but that's a good list in the AFC, too. I mean, we're finding really good games every week as opposed to when it's top-heavy and the Bucks are solo up there or the Chiefs are solo up there and the rest of the games don't have I, – I feel right now we're talking about 10 really good teams. Yep. So odds are every weekend you've got one or two matchups between those 10 teams that are like must-see TV. But keep in mind, they're, they're, we have 10 teams that we've discussed. So there are 10 that 14 are getting see. in the playoffs. Yeah. I also, I, going back to the AFC graphic, I, you know, I said there's a clear line between, I think it was Chargers to Titans and that drop-off of what I've seen so far from these teams. I, I still think that at plus 1,400s, mm-hmm. I, would, I would jump all over the Titans if Julio Jones comes back and if the offensive line improves because the reason we said they're going to win their division, they should. I mean, that well, to and- me, at plus 1,400 right now, even though I see a clear line of demarcation between the Chargers and Titans, I would still jump on the Titans at plus 1,400. And, Paul, they get the Chiefs and the Bills in back-to-back weeks coming up. Bills on Monday Night Football, short week, followed up by Kansas City coming They've been to known Nissan to Stadium. rise to the occasion. The, the, the biggest question is health. But Mike Vrabel's rallied that team to some pretty significant wins against good teams. The problem is he loses to the Jets periodically. Uh, but five weeks from now, the Titans could be a completely different team. It, and there will be healthy. an under-the-radar group, too, that comes out of nowhere. Maybe that's the right. Bengals. And the Bills could be beat up in five weeks. You know? For sure. Stephon, you know, no, name yeah, three again, key players and put them on The IR war of attrition. Three weeks. But yeah. it's about positioning yourself to withstand a week or two if, if the Bills are down Josh Allen for two weeks because of a low ankle sprain. Can you get through, uh, you know, can you get right. through a game or two and survive the season? You'd say now they look like they can, but now we're really high on them because they're playing really well. But check back in seven weeks. You know, you don't know. How did injuries affect the Braves, Chad? It made them better. made them stronger. <laughs> you can't, can't hurt the, the Atlanta Braves. You just, they just get stronger and stronger. You try to injure them. You try to ruin their Achilles tendons like with Mike Soroka, and they just get better and better every time. Would you say J.P. Aaron Sibia is a better was a better baseball player or is now a better broadcaster? I, I mean, think I, it, I think it's a truly hard question to answer. He played quite a bit in the major league, so it, it's tough. Uh, he's played. I would assume we could ask him, but I assume he's he's played baseball certainly in his life longer than being a broadcaster, but played baseball longer than he's been a broadcaster. So maybe a slight nod. To a player, but maybe you know he's gonna not for long. He's gonna join us here soon. He may completely prove that wrong and show why he's actually a better broadcaster than a player. JP Aaron Sibia joins us next as we discuss the Major League Baseball postseason. Straight ahead on Outkick 360.
The MLB postseason began last Tuesday night, and a lot has changed since the start of the postseason. Now Kick 360 rolls on as we near the end of October and the World Series. Who knows? Maybe the Game 7 gets played early November this year. J.P. Aaron Sibia in studio with us as we roll on across the Outkick Network. You can join us on Twitter at Outkick360. JP, great to see you in uh, for the first time with us since we were in Knoxville a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. I'm excited to talk a little baseball. It's also good to have our sex appeal up uh, if you're watching on video <laughs> right now. That's uh, a, a great uh, benefit of having JP along with his baseball experience and knowledge. JP, you know where I'm going to go to start uh, when we're talking postseason. A guy you know well, Alex Anthopoulos, was in Toronto when you were there. I doubted the decision to go for it at the trade deadline. I thought that they should get rid of guys on expiring contracts, load up for next year when everyone got healthy, and the Braves proved me wrong. What, what a run and what a collection of moves from Anthopolis to get the Braves here. You have to tip your hat. I mean, you, you think about Alex Anthopolis and the aggressiveness, right? That's what everybody knows. Even talking with the Marlins GM, she was like, I don't like him. And the reason why GMs don't like him is because – he goes and he, he's Mr. Steal Your Girl in the sense of he goes and gets the players. Jock Peterson, no one cared about Jock Peterson at that point. And then he goes out and got him early. Mm. And so it surprised a lot of teams. And then all of a sudden, you start to see the chips fall, Jorge Soler. You start to see what they're doing in the outfield, getting Duvall back. I think Duvall's been the sneakiest one, right? You talk about Duvall, and no one really had him on their radar. This guy led the league in RBIs. So you talk about revamping your entire outfield. I thought when Acuna went down against the Marlins, I, I thought, well... Ship sailed. That's it. It's done. And, I mean, these guys are, I think they're good favorites now. J.P. Aaron Sibia in studio with us. And uh, he's, of course, a part of the, the Miami Marlins uh, broadcast team. You were there when he was hurt. And we know the rivalry there with Acuna and, and the Marlins. What was the mood like when he went down, uh, just in the press box, with, with all the, 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 those around the team, those covering the Braves, those covering the Marlins? Everyone thought they were out. Right. Yeah, that's that is the mood. That's kind of it was somber, and you and you think about what Acuna brings to the table, and it's not just a guy who shows up every day, and then you know is a game changer. His energy, I mean, this guy goes to the plate knowing that he's going to win you a game if he comes into the situation, and guys in the dugout know that. So everybody kind of looked to him, and when he went down, Freddie Freeman really wasn't Freddie Freeman yet, mm. and you talk about Acuna and how he, you know, changes a game. I think. Austin Riley stepped up right there, and that's where he was my MVP of the season. You know, it seems, JP, that, uh, and I want to ask you this because you'll know way better than us, but the clubhouse environment with different organizations is just different at times. And I look at some of these guys. Jorge Soler was struggling uh, in Kansas City. Jock Peterson was struggling. Eddie Rosario, I know, was injured in Cleveland. But sometimes it takes just the right group in the right organization to go to, and then your play can be better because the expectation at different places is different. Are the Braves one of those teams, when you talk to your friends around the league, that it just feels like guys who go there can up their play a little bit based on that atmosphere in their clubhouse? Listen, that's, a, that's when you quantify. The reason why people love analytics is because you can quantify something, but you can't ever quantify intangibles. And that's the biggest thing is I've had guys who – on paper, they are awesome. When they, when they come to the clubhouse, they suck. Everybody wants to go opposite directions because it's like, we don't want to be around this guy. And they would just bring you down, and it brings the team down, the morale down. And also the other thing you have to think about, Cleveland Indians, not winning. Royals, not winning. 
You start to go on these teams, Jock Peterson with the Cubs, not winning. Duvall, Marlins, not winning. So all of a sudden you get thrusted into a position where, man, we have a chance to win. That's where now all of a sudden your game elevates. The people around you are going to obviously help you elevate your game. And then a different set of eyes. I think that's another thing too. People don't realize how important it is. Coaches, how much they really do make a difference to a player's career. You know, people forget, speaking about the difference between analytics and the intangibles, and sometimes you just can't explain things in baseball. Charlie Morton was originally a Braves draft pick, struggled early on in the organization, gets shipped out, and at 33, you know, hits his prime. A late bloomer, a guy who started dominating in the postseason. I mean, he's in groups with Brett Saberhagen and John Smoltz in terms of postseason dominance as a starting pitcher in Tampa and in Houston and now with the Braves, the guy's 39, you know, going on 40, and looks like he could pitch five more years at this point. How do you explain something like that with a guy who just figures it out at 33 years old and the guys who, for whatever reason, can turn it on in postseason play the way Charlie Morton has? Well, here's where analytics does play, right? And that's something that, that has helped Charlie Morton. When you think about it, I caught him with the Philadelphia Phillies. He was a sinker, cutter, slider. He kind of was after a Roy Holiday. If you remember, he had the same kind of windup. Goes to Houston. All of a sudden, more four-seam usage. And that's where, that's where guys are starting to realize where, quote-unquote, spin rate. Spin rate was, hey, if you throw the four-seam at the top of the zone and the ball doesn't drop as much, you'll get a lot of swing and miss. When you throw a ball down in the zone, it's easier to hit. I don't care velocity. It's easier to hit. Up in the zone is tougher. So Charlie makes that adjustment because of an analytical-driven decision. And all of a sudden, he goes four-seam up curveball for that same thing with Garrett Cole you're saying he started going more up in the zone with his curveball well, well no with his forcing fast I got ball. you with the fast so what ball. happens is is Garrett Cole was the same thing Garrett Cole comes out of Pittsburgh goes to Houston what happens he goes becomes a monster because what they tell you is tunneling right and what tunneling is is it's that forcing fastball on the top of the zone but if you throw your forcing fastball on the top of the zone then your breaking ball literally is in the same exact frame is the same exact tunnel and then breaks off. That's why you see some of these swings that are terrible because you can't tell what that pitch is until the last mm. 15 feet. And teams analytically started realizing, wait a second, when I, was a, when I was playing, they were saying pound down, fastball down, but the breaking ball would pop up. So if I had a fastball going down, anytime I'd see the ball up, as a hitter, I had a better recognition. But what they've changed is say, hey, throw that four seam up in the zone and throw the breaking ball off of that. And it's allowed pitchers to really get away with more stuff because as a hitter, it's tougher to see. You can't pick up stuff until it's later in the zone. Well, and as a catcher, you know, you were catching guys as this revolution started to happen with spin rate and everything else. Did it become a lot more difficult to catch guys when they figured some of these things out, or was it in some ways easier? Uh, it's easier. When I got to Tampa Bay, and, you know, obviously I played in the AL East for most of my career, and I get to Tampa and they start explaining to me what spin rate is because they were – Listen, Tampa's the... Of course, Tampa was ahead of it, Paul. Oh, yeah. they, they knew it before anyone else. I mean, it's the truth. Tampa is, a, is an organization that was ahead of the curve on everybody. And you started seeing why these guys were getting drafted in the 30 round, 30th round, throwing 90, and they were blowing guys' doors down. And what happens is because is of the spin rate of throwing up in the zone. And what happens is, and to say it quickly, is if a fastball it ends up here for a lower spin rate guy, a fastball will end up here for a higher spin rate guy. So your eyes are used to seeing a certain spin rate. So you swing at that, you swing at that location, but you don't realize the ball doesn't drop as much. It stays up. So that's where I learned when I was with Tampa, when they said, hey, we don't believe in the zone side to side. We believe in the zone up and down. And I was like, wait, what do you mean up and down? They're like set up in the middle of the plate 
and throw the fastball up in the zone and throw the breaking ball off of that. And then I started to realize after seeing swings going, that's why they've been dominating me for so long because they had something that no one really had tapped into yet. I, I want to pick up from there and go to the catching part of it, framing and how important that is. I'm a Yankee guy. Gary Sanchez, they've worked with him, worked with him, worked with him. He still sucks at it. But he, he did this thing this year where he wasn't even setting up a target. He'd set up a target, then take his glove out, and so the framing would be completely all coming into the zone. There'd be no potential to go out and come back in where, a, where an umpire would see him trying to bring something back into the zone because everything would be coming back. What do you think of that, and how popular is that? Now? Well, I, I don't like it. I really, I, I, don't like I, I don't like it either, but here's the thing is when you start to, analytics, right? Analytics start to tell a story. And, and when I asked the catching coach for the Marlins, who I played with, who played in the big leagues, and I said, Eddie Rodriguez is his name. I said, Eddie, how do you, what are you guys doing? There's more pass balls now. No target. There's, there's blocking is no longer an art because guys are running because you're stuck. You have a knee on the ground. Throwing guys out doesn't matter. And, I, and he said, no one cares because now stealing pitches over time, will save you more runs, defensive runs saved. So that's right, so we see these intentional balks to get a guy to third base so he can't get the signal. <laughs> well, it, well, that's, yeah. From but, second base. But, but here's, here's the problem is now what that's done is that's created uh, where guys aren't going to throw that ball in the dirt with a Gary Sanchez behind the dish when you need to throw that ball in the dirt. That's why he, he, he Gashioka, I hope I said that right. Yeah. That's why they like throwing to him because he will be blocking those balls. And if you're scared to throw a ball in the dirt with a man on third base and you hang a pitch – you know what happens. And so that's where Gary Sanchez has really struggled is, you're right, his, his target's down, stuff like that. But guys don't feel as comfortable throwing to him because you don't have the same faith and he doesn't call a great game. He really doesn't. So we're talking game evolution. Let, let's keep going that direction. Do, things generally cycle. But it seems like the direction the game has gone is not going to allow for cycling. Like here's a chart. I'll describe it. This is 2011. Balls in play were way bigger than foul balls. This is April of this year. There were more foul balls than fair balls. And this is part of the three, three true outcome thing. Yeah. Where you're going to walk, you're going to homer, or you're going to, what's the third? Strike out. Yeah, walk, yeah. Do, do you think that we're going this way forever? Or is it going to cycle back? Where a base hit actually is not, <laughs> not such a bad result. It's, it's, here's the, here's the, the argument, and I try to talk to people. Analytics has kind of hurt that, and it really has. First off, I, I don't like putting four guys on one side of the infield. That's hurt also balls in play. as Not balls in play, but hits and average. But now they've realized fastballs up in the zone are hard to hit. That, in 2011, you just talked about it. it they did, there was more balls in play, but there wasn't the adjustment that there is now that across the line in the league, guys are throwing up. Right Now you look at velocity, too. You're watching a guy in, in greater role yesterday throwing 103 mile an hour sinkers, right? So when you start to talk about the game and how it's evolved, pitching has gotten a lot better. Information has gotten a lot better. And now where they used to tell you, hey, throw the ball down, it's no longer something where they throw the ball down. Everybody is living up. And as a hitter, that's why you're seeing even more foul balls because, again, it's tougher to get to the ball on the top part of the plate than it is at the bottom part of the plate. And now they've realized. So when you look at those numbers and how – now, swing and misses have gone up, and contact has gone down. It's because over time, they've got enough data to go, here's where we have to throw, guys, and this is where they can't hit. Where before, they used to say, hey, don't throw the ball up in the zone because that's where you get hurt. That's not the case anymore. 
J.P. Aaron Sibia in studio with us, former Major League Baseball catcher and a Miami Marlins broadcaster. Um, would you still take the Dodgers to win it all right now, knowing they have a winner-take-all game with the Giants? He's going to take the Braves. Uh, I listen, I think the Dodgers, the Dodgers are good. I don't know if they're as good as they were last year. I, I know that Max Scherzer, obviously, is, is a guy who's been a big difference. Trey Turner... It's crazy. I, I the San Francisco Giants scare me because I've counted them out every single part of this season. I've literally said they're not that good. It's going to catch up to them. They're not that good. It's going to catch up to them, and they continue to win. But I'm still going to say they're not going to win <laughs> on game on game five. I still think the Dodgers are going to win. But this when if it comes down to the Dodgers and Braves, the Dodgers their bullpen is going to be the battle of the bullpens. And that's really it. And the Braves bullpen only gave up two earned runs this entire this entire series. But the Milwaukee Brewers can't hit. Like they literally it, it suck. It was crazy. It was it was crazy. And it so another side of that question, not who you're picking, but if you are the Astros, Red Sox, Braves, the three remaining teams, are you rooting for the Giants? One hundred. Everybody, hundred. They all want to see the Giants. Everybody, and not the Dodgers. everybody is going to be it. tomorrow. Everyone's in. Is a hundred percent black and orange because they'd mean, rather play the D- Giants than the Dodgers. Everyone would undoubtedly. I mean, look, Gosman has been not good in the second half. Logan Webb, this guy has come out of nowhere and been absolutely dominating. But I just and Alex Wood has been good too. The Giants, first off, don't have the experience, and that's a big deal, right? Like, it's it's something to be said to be in those moments and to have those moments and succeed in those moments. The Giants don't have that. Also, they have. They're relying on guys in that bullpen. I mean, McGee's at the back end of his career. Yeah, he's doing well. But a lot of these guys are young. And I just think that at some point that rears its head. And, I, and that's why teams would want to play him. Before you preview that ALCS, you had the White Sox player uh, speculate that there were some things going on with the Astros. Is it time for everyone to move past that now moving forward? Or is it always going to be fair game with people because of what we know about the Astros a few years ago? Past it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a Yankees Paul, fan, yeah, yeah. so he's Paul's, not going to be Paul's Paul's still upset about it. And not, Yankees fans usually are a little yeah. bit more upset than the usual fans. Yeah, but, because of the, the head-to-head in that series. But I, you got to get past it. I mean, it is what it is. I, I knew it was going to be an issue because when I was sitting in clubhouses and I could see real-time video of what signs were being put down, you knew that at some point somebody was going to take advantage of it. But you got to be done with it because you start to hear the guys talk about it after. Like Correa, he's like, you know what? This guy goes and kind of runs his mouth. It fired us all up. And they scored 10 runs on the road yesterday. So this team rakes. Like this team is a good team. If you put them in any park in baseball, you kind of poke the bear. And these guys, that, I just think that was a weak – that was like a weak thing to come out and say like, oh, yeah, you had worse swings at, at our park than you did at home. Dude. What are you talking about? I think they scored six Save that game it. also. Yeah, it, it wasn't like, a bad. It wasn't a good game to say that about. It's just, it, no, and, and he had just come off of a good outing. And listen, I know Ryan Tapera. I've played with Ryan Tapera, but you got to be smarter than that. And you got to say something like that. It's kind of, it's kind of childish. And I think it's, it's got to be done. Like, listen, if you get beat, just accept that you got beat at this point in the game. Who wins that series? Red Sox, Astros. I think the Astros are too good. I, I mean, their starting pitching is. Throwing the, they've been throwing the ball well, but they, they're, when you talk about their bullpen, I mean, they traded for Graveman, who was in Seattle, who everybody thought that that was the end of it. Yimmy Garcia, who was closing games for the Marlins, is like their fifth inning guy. And so what's the biggest thing is if you can get a, a starter to go just a little bit into a game and get to that bullpen, 
that's where that's what playoff baseball. How many quick hooks do you see now? So it's it's really become battle of bullpens in a sense. But I think Houston has the offense to kind of really push as many runs across as possible. As a Braves fan, I'm watching a lot of Braves broadcasts. You're on the Marlins broadcast, but uh, Jeff Francoeur, I think, does a great job on the Braves broadcast. And I feel like everybody has that pet peeve in the game today that played not even that long ago that they hate. And Jeff Francoeur hates the shift. You talked about it before. He just he says, you know, that should be a single. Yeah. He's watching. He's, it's hard to wrap your head around how that's going to be an out at times. You said you don't really like the shift. Is there something that happens in the game today that as a guy who played at the highest level is just a pet peeve of yours every time you see it? Well, I mean, competitively with me is I think all the all like the show. And I know like let the kids play, but also then let it be handled within the field, right? Like everybody's bat tossing and doing all these things. I just hate that there's no more breaking up double plays. There's no more throwing inside because if you hit somebody, I mean, you saw you saw Larusa's coming out screaming about a brave, and it's like, dude, back when you were yeah. playing and back in the days, like I've heard stories of old guys saying, "Hey, calling the catcher over and saying, hey, put down a curveball, and I'm gonna throw this fastball on his back.'" And the reason why is because if you wanted to pick off signs, pick off signs, but now you're gonna have to talk to your teammate about it. You're gonna be leaning into a curveball that's gonna hit you in the ribs. Yeah, it's gonna smoke you. So. I just think that now baseball has become so soft that you can't take out the catcher. Back in the days, you'd get hit. How you came back was you'd blow out the guy at second base. Like, there's a lot of things in the game that have kind of been taken away, and guys just, there's, they do whatever they want now. And so I think that the game has kind of become just a little bit of a joke. Like, yeah, you got to have fun. Let's have fun. But at the end of the day, then if you're going to have fun, let the other guys kind of answer back. Throw. I, I was fired up when Barucki drilled him. I, I wanted Barucki to drill him. It, it's, there should be some level of, uh, you know, I could use a better phrase, but prison justice to any sport, right? Yeah. Like you've got you've to legislate the game within the game the, in every sport. Well, that's what hockey, like, dude, if you were going to take a run at one of the guys, you were going to have to answer the bell. Well, name a team sport and they have those rules and things you can do to get guys back. That's, Under, that's underneath the rules. legislated now with the warnings and yeah, the everybody, Yeah, right away, you throw a ball up and in. It's a warning. There's like, all, it's just... The, I'm guessing you didn't approve of the guy for the Marlins getting kicked out on, no, on the on the of, first pitch of the Acuna. game. No, that was ridiculous. And Pablo Lopez, this dude, honestly, he wouldn't hurt a fly. The guy's like, I actually, we've told him like, hey, you need to hit more guys <laughs> because you're too nice. And, and, and it's the truth. It's, you know, there's guys, you remember Vicente Padilla? Yep. Yep. We used to be scared to take a big swing off of him. The Phillies, right? Yeah, yeah. with yep. Phillies. Because we knew like the next pitch was going to be behind us so you, you it was almost like two and oh you're like oh my god i don't want to take i know i should take a big swing but I, but there's none of that anymore because if you throw in it's like you you look you, you look at the picture and you're like hey and then all of a sudden it's like all right guys you're warned everybody's warned nothing's happening and that's it so that's my thing is like hey you want to make it fun make it fun i think it'd be fun if there was more guys that got after it on a baseball field and not just <laughs> I'm you know, with you on that. You told me you liked Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone said, and, hey, in my time here, people have closed the gap on us. What gap? You haven't gone to a World Series. <laughs> he's, he's out of touch with reality. How do you like him? I like him. I think he's a good guy. He's a good Managers, guy. But he's he's a good man. Yeah, but, okay, so here's the thing. And, and we've talked about this. Analytics. How many managers make decisions well, before the game? Well, he's not making decisions, but all these other guys who uh, seem to be more Where's tied Cashman? in with their Where's GM. Cashman in this? Well, I, I think Cashman's above he's touching. I, he's, he's in a yeah, protected but I, class. But I, I, that's what I think is a flaw in baseball. In a, in, guys get hurt. 
got, I mean, like all of a sudden it's the, it's now the manager, his fault that you have, I'm, I'm at, with a knife at a, at a fight when there's guns around well, me. Stanton like, and Judge weren't hurt this year. I mean, he had the best health he's had in some time. Okay. And he Stan, should have gotten and, better. And, out well, of Stan, Stan went off. The starting pitching wasn't that great. But at the end of the day, you have to really start to think about who's the one that wears the fault. And, I, and I'm telling you, as a team, as a, I played in Tampa, the manager had exactly before the game start, guys have these conversations. Hey, in the seventh inning, this matchup is this. Right. In the yeah. eighth inning. And so then where's, where, it's always the scapegoat. The manager's always the scapegoat. Hey, oh, it's the manager's right. fault. Well, wait a second. Somebody that's else That's the best I can get, I'll, I'll take. The, <laughs> if they're not going to change the whole thing, I'll take the well, part change that they Cashman, change. I think, is what he's well, saying. Yeah, I, I think change. Cashman's untouchable because I don't think Steinbrenner well, you can is going to go far it. enough. It, I ask for it. I want this has never thing. stopped Yankees fans from I want all opinion. these new young guys. But if you can go get Bruce Bochy now, if he's coming out of retirement, if Sosha's coming out of retirement. You think those guys are making a difference? Be honest. You think they're making a difference? I, That's a good. I, I can, take them managing one game against the Red Sox at Fenway Park. I can. I can give you. I will give you the Houston Astros, and I'll take Dusty Baker out of there, and you could manage that team. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you. Hey, here's the. Here's all the guys you have. Write this lineup. That's. That's the truth. In. In. In this game now, it's like managers are psychologists, talking to guys, keep them in the check. But other than that, the lineup is written before the guy gets to he the ballpark. He needs to be a psychologist, not just in New York, not just for the team, but for the fans. Do you think and Rojas? Good do you that. think Rojas should have been fired? I don't give a damn about that. Well, yeah, I know, oh, right? But it's New York. You're talking New York, so you think Rojas gets fired? Well, no, I, I, why? I, I think Rojas has a guy on his team who's booing the fans. He should be fired immediately. <laughs> that he's allowing for that. JP, quick answer for the casual fan like me: What's the best possible World Series matchup? Just for viewing purposes only. I mean, LA, LA. It would it would have to be Boston and LA. No, I, Boston. It, it has to be. And I know you you don't like to hear that. Fenway. <laughs> listen, Fenway is the best place that I've ever played in, atmosphere wise, you, fan base wise. LA Boston is would be the the game to or the teams to watch. You are welcome to the studio anytime. There's a lot of. This fun. is great. Thank you. Terrific. This flew by. This is fun. You're the man. Thank you guys. J.P. Aaron Sibia has been our guest. We talk Alabama football coming up, Tennessee Power Hour as well on Outkick 360. Coming up in the Tennessee Power Hour, an, the latest example of Derrick Henry being undervalued across the NFL. Uh, that's straight ahead, plus the all-important injury report for the Tennessee Titans and we'll get into the Vols as well as they take on Ole Miss this coming Saturday. You know what I completely disregard? Derrick Henry winning the FedEx ground player of the week. <laughs> I, I get I these get, emails. Uh, I want to tell not, the guy to take me off the list. Oh, it, it's, it's junk mail at this point. I get so many emails from FedEx about their air and ground players of the week every week. I, I immediately hit delete every time on so all of them. We, we did a, a buy or sell uh, a bit of that earlier on NFL teams and where they stack right now, AFC, NFC. We we saw the reaction when Alabama won the game in Gainesville, but Florida came back in the second half, and we thought, oh, this you know, and, and it's true. It's great for college football. Alabama looked human. Um, they're coming back down to earth a bit. It was a competitive game. Now that they've lost to Texas A&M, to me, the reaction with Bama has been that and then some. And I was on with our, our buddy, uh, Chad, Jay Barker's show yesterday, and he's asking me 
uh, a show out of Birmingham, Jay Barker, uh, former Bama quarterback. National he's, championship winning Bama yeah, quarterback. Yeah, in 92. Yep. He, he's asking me my thoughts on Alabama being able to rebound off of the loss to Texas A&M and my thoughts on you know the, the pass rush that Texas A&M got on Bryce Young um, and just how they swarmed at A&M based on the game plan that Jimbo put together. And I'm thinking, man, I never thought I would have to explain why I'm buying Bama, <laughs> right? Like, they, they they lost a game, and I'm not saying Jay's against them. He's actually reading other reports and getting my thoughts on it, having been at, attending the game. It was a great game plan by Jimbo Fisher, but, I mean, this is the first assistant coach to beat Nick Saban, and it came at a, a great game plan where Alabama came back after being down 24-7 at the half, came back to take a 38-31 lead and then gave up the, the the touchdown to tie it and then the field goal at the end. This is not some blowout win by AM, much like it was not a victory for Florida. I, Chad, I, I, I feel the same way about Bama as I did last week. They're not going unbeaten, but they're going to be in the college football playoffs. Well, it's crazy to me how everybody gets what they want. You know, they wanted Bama to be mortal. They wanted Bama to eventually lose. Bama's mortal. They finally lose. And then the immediate reaction a day later is, boy, it's, you know, it's, it's different having college football with Bama not being dominant anymore. I'm, I'm, they oh, just lost one, one game. game. And, and if you wanted Bama to lose that game, you should want Bama to lose again because if they don't, That's right. they're still going to win a national title and they still have a great shot at winning a national title. They're not going to lose to anyone before they play. I, mean, I, I said that before the A&M game. I understand that. And, and crazy things happen. But they're going to be favored. They were a huge favorite in that game. They're going to be favored in every game leading up to Georgia. And we all know that's probably going to be a great game when Alabama and Georgia play. So I, I think everyone's a little premature to can Bama bounce back. We've seen them bounce back with one loss and win national titles before. Of course they can bounce back. And if you're rooting for Bama to lose before that game – you should continue to look oh, for, root for Bama to lose again. But this is absolutely no surprise that in Tuscaloosa or Birmingham, they're in a complete panic. Oh, my no, God, we them. lost. We don't know what to do. It's not or, them. It's the, re, it, the reaction to the, the Florida comeback in the second half nationally was, what a relief. We finally saw a competitive game with Bama. And it's the same type of reaction to where his show in Birmingham, they're having to ask my thoughts on if I truly believe that this is, this is kind of the... Uh, downturn. That, not the downturn, but like the... Bama's not what we expected them to be. And I, I was just like, no, I don't view it that yeah, way. Bama's now a disappointment this season based on expectation well, because it's one I loss. I think it is a little bit of what I'm saying, Hutton. Like, they can't put in perspective that they, they managed to play a close game and lose a game. Again, it's not, it's not the fan base that they're reacting to. They're reacting to the media coverage of this. Well, I, I'm surprised that the media is... Like, Ryan Leaf had Bama ranked 10th, I think. <laughs> yeah, that. That's I mean, crazy, but but then I do see that's I do point. see a little possibility for it because people are excited that there is some semblance of parity, but the parity is really after Georgia and Alabama. I think we'd we'd all agree after Georgia in particular, but Alabama's still up there. But there's a great deeper mix of teams that have some realistic hopes of being two and, and three and the teams that get left out of the top four this year. If we think there's been debate before there's going to be a seventh ranked team. That's going to feel like, man, we really lost out. Mm -hmm. And in another year we would have easily been three uh, or certainly been four. And so maybe there's some national media that is more like me in the hopefulness that, 
something new. You know, in another year, uh, th- this could have really meant something. So here's, though, where people get foolish on this. Yes, there are a lot of teams that have a shot at making the playoff. There are still the same amount of teams that can beat Bama or Georgia, and it's Bama or Georgia. And I'll illustrate why. Iowa has a worse offense than UMass right now. They're winning on turnovers and defense. That's not going to beat Bama and Georgia. And Iowa's probably going to be in the playoffs. UMass is Because they're going to be favored from here on out until UMass the Big Ten tough. Championship. Ask UConn. And they don't get Maryland every week either, uh, those Hawkeyes. Coming up, the Tennessee Power Hour. Titans have the Bills. How do they win? Details coming up.